Scripture this evening comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, and I'll be reading verses 9 through 13. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For just a few minutes tonight, I'd like to call all of our attention to our habits when we pray. All of us get into habits and patterns. All of us say things, and oftentimes the things that we say are just by rote. We just, they, they flow out of us. It's something that we've developed. And it's important for us to understand that people who heard Jesus pray, they wanted him to teach them to pray. And it's not that, not that they didn't understand what prayer was all about. They knew how to pray. But there was something about the way Jesus prayed there's something about the way that he addressed his God that was impressive, that ought to cause us to ask the same question, what was it about the way Jesus prayed that could instruct us? And what habits might we develop sometimes in our lives, and in our prayer lives especially, that maybe we need to correct and maybe we need to think about? It's kind of like a mother whose four-year-old has just sassed her. And the mother says, wait a minute, just who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you're talking to? Sometimes we say that to teenagers. Who do you think you're talking to? You address your parents. You address older people with respect. How do we address the God of heaven? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And the first thing that Jesus said was, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. I just want us to spend a few minutes tonight looking at that expression and thinking about it. And I want us to think about what qualifies Jesus to tell us in the first place how we ought to pray. I mean, what is it about Jesus that we ought to listen to him when he says, this is the way that you ought to address God? I would submit, first of all, that Jesus is uniquely qualified to teach us about prayer because he is both divine and human. He is both God and man. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Jesus knows who God is. He is God. And yet Jesus also understands what it's like to be you and me. He understands because he took on flesh and came to this world and lived and died. He knows uniquely what God expects and what it's like to be man. Secondly, Jesus himself is a man of prayer. You can read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will always be impressed by the fact that Jesus spent time deliberately and great lengths of time often in prayer. And even now, his present ministry, according to Hebrews 7, verse 25, is to make intercession for us. So even now, in the present moment, he's at the right hand of God, and he's making intercession for you and me. He's praying for us. 
And so just as he prayed for disciples and prayed for many others and prayed about his own mission while he was here on earth, just as in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let not my will but yours be done. Jesus knows what it's like to pray. He is a man of prayer himself. And then third, what qualifies Jesus to teach us about prayer? His disciples respected his prayer life. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, as they had heard him pray, they said, they stopped him and said, Lord, teach us to pray like John also taught his disciples to pray. It was a lesson. It was a request. And Jesus was happy to oblige. He was happy to talk to his disciples about what they were to pray when they, when they approached God. With all those things in mind, again, looking at Matthew 6, verse 9 in your Bible, when was the last time as you addressed God that you called him your father? Is that a habit that you are accustomed to? There are a lot of legitimate ways to address God in prayer. I'm not saying, and the Lord would not say, that calling him Father is the only way or the exclusive way that we ought to come to God. But Jesus, when people wanted to know how to pray, said, pray like this, our Father in heaven. When's the last time you called God Father? And when you thought about, when you thought about what it means to call God your Father, is it just a word that you use and you kind of assume it? Or do you think about the implications of all that? Let's think about the phrase, our Father in heaven, for just a few moments. Notice, first of all, its uniqueness. The uniqueness of calling God Father. When you read the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, those first 39 books of the Bible, it's amazing that it seems from just a reading of that, of that portion of Scripture that the Jews were not accustomed to calling God Father when they prayed. They called him God Almighty. They called him the God of heaven. They called him a lot of different things. They called him Lord. But when they prayed, you don't find Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Isaiah. You don't find those people customarily calling and approaching God as Father. It's just not what they did in the Old Testament. There are a few passages, about 15 or so, that refer to God this way, and it even seems in kind of a prayer context. Passages like Isaiah 63 and some other passages in Isaiah 64 as well. And also Psalm 103 verse 13, the idea of God as a father was not a new concept or a foreign concept to the Israelites, but this was certainly not the norm. This was not the way that Jewish people prayed to God before Jesus arrived on the scene. In fact, open your Bibles, if you would, to John 5, and look at verses 17 and 18. In John 5, verses 17 and 18, Jews were sometimes offended by the fact that Jesus referred to God as his Father. Just look at this and think about the implications here. In John 5, verse 17, Jesus says, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. And it says in verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill Jesus because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They understood the implications of what Jesus was telling them. The intimate relationship that Jesus enjoys with his father is something that's offensive to the Jews. And so this was not the norm, it seems, in ancient Judaism. 
But when Jesus comes to earth, and when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus calls God Father 165 times in his teachings. In passages like Matthew chapter 6, where he talks about worry in verses 25 through 34 of Matthew 6, and he says, consider the lilies of the field, consider the sparrows, the birds of the air, your heavenly Father feeds them, your heavenly Father clothes the lilies. And your heavenly Father will feed and clothe you. Jesus talked about God as our heavenly Father in his teachings and in his prayers. When Jesus addresses God, most frequently when he calls upon God, he calls him Father. Read the prayers of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see if what I'm telling you is not the truth. Seventy times... In the prayers of Jesus, he calls God Father. As a matter of fact, the only time when Jesus does not address God as Father is Matthew 27, verse 46. In Matthew 27, verse 46, as he was suffering on the cross, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time in Scripture where Jesus addressed God as something other than his father. So there's something unique, there's something special, there's something, if you want to say it this way, kind of new about what Jesus was teaching us, his followers, to do when he said, pray this way, our Father in heaven. And we ought to appreciate that as the people of God. Notice the significance, secondly, of calling God our Father. What does it mean? How, what's significant about this? A number of ideas can be communicated here. What makes this so significant? What does it indicate? In the first place, we could call God our Father because and by virtue of the fact that He is our Creator. He made us. He built us. And as a matter of fact, Paul uses this very argument in Acts 17, verse 28. Paul says to the Greek philosophers in Athens, for in him, in God, we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. So we're the offspring of God. He's our father. We are his children in the sense that he created us, all of us, all humanity, created by God. And he's our father in that sense. But when Jesus taught us to pray, our father, it wasn't just limited to the idea that God created me. That's not the only aspect of that word that Jesus wanted us to think about. We also acknowledge when we call God our Father that He's personal. He's not some force out there, some entity out there that is unfamiliar to us and unfamiliar with us. He's not some distant, remote, aloof being that cares nothing for us. It it, it, it talks about God when we call him Father as one who is personal. He interacts with us as a person, and we relate to him as a person. He's our Father, and he wants to hear from us. He desires for us to come to him and to talk to him about what's on our heart and what's going on in our lives, and we talk about what he wants in the world. He's a person, and it's personal 1 Peter 5 verse 7 encourages us to cast our cares, our anxieties upon him. He cares for you. He cares. 
What does it indicate that God is our Father? It indicates this, that God has adopted us into his family. Redemption, salvation, atonement. The idea that when we become Christians, we are adopted into, we are brought into a new family, the family of God. And notice a couple of passages along these lines. In Galatians 4, verses 5 and 6, the writer says, Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God adopts us into his family when we become Christians. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a word that communicates intimacy. It's not equivalent to our English word dad or daddy. But it's, a, it's an endearment type of term nonetheless. The idea of Abba is a closeness, a relationship, a love that exists. And what the Bible is saying is that when we were adopted into the family of God, it's not as if God still keeps us at arm's length and says, well, you're always less of a child than anybody else in my family. That's not the way it is. When we are adopted into the family of God, we are welcomed as equals. We are welcomed as the people who have been brought into the family of God, and everybody has a place at the table. And we call God Father in an endearing way, in a way that represents our closeness to Him and the concern and the love that He has for us. He cares about us. We've been adopted into His family. Romans 8.15 says much the same thing. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so this term Abba has to do with a closeness, a family relationship that's acknowledged because of the fact that we're Christians, because of the fact that we belong to Jesus. It's significant to call God Father because it's saying you're our family. We're your family. We're your children. What does it indicate that we call God Father? It also indicates his disposition toward us. Those of you who are fathers and even those of you who are mothers, you understand how you feel about your children, how you feel about those precious gifts that God has placed into your hands how you would do just about anything you could within reason to help and to bless and to encourage and to provide for your kids. God feels that way about us. It's his disposition toward us. In fact, later in the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus taught us to call God our Father in heaven, Jesus says this in Matthew 7, verse 11. He says, if you then, who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Ask, seek, and knock because your Father loves you, because your Father is on your side, because your Father wants to provide for you what is best and what is good and what's going to help make you more like Jesus Christ. 
his disposition toward us. Hebrews 12 verses 4 through 11 talks about the chastening and the discipline of the Lord. And it says that God chastens us as a father, a loving father, chastens and disciplines his children. And he says this in Hebrews 12 verse 9. He says, besides this, we all have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall not much more we be subject to the father of spirits and live? God's watching us. And like a loving father, he's providing for us. And even when necessary, bringing discipline into our lives. When we pray our father in heaven, we're talking to somebody who loves us that way. We're talking to somebody who cares about us that way. And maybe there's nobody else in your life that cares about you like that. And maybe in your experience, maybe your father didn't treat you the way that the Bible describes a father needing to treat his children. But I tell you this, there is a father who always gets it right. There is a father who loves you no matter what. And there is a father who wants you to come to him in loving submission because he cares for you. It's significant to call him our father in heaven. Third, the fellowship. Our Father, it's fellowship. Go back to Matthew chapter 6 and look at verses 9 and following, just for a moment. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and following. And notice, as you look at what Jesus teaches in what we might call the model prayer, in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9, he says, In this manner, therefore, pray, our, plural, Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, verse 11, plural, this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What's Jesus doing? He uses plural pronouns to talk about the way that his disciples pray. And one of the things that we ought to stop and consider is if we're really part of a family, if we're really part of this relationship with our father, we're also part of a group, a family that belongs to him. And much of our prayer life ought to reflect the we and the us and the our aspect of our Christianity. Now, before we press this point too far, I want to give this caution, this disclaimer Singular pronouns, saying I, me, my, singular pronouns in our prayers are appropriate and they are acceptable, and I'll prove it. Jesus himself, when he prayed in Matthew 26, verse 39, said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Singular pronouns are appropriate. It's, there's nothing in the world wrong with praying about myself and praying about what's going on in my life and using I and me and my. That said, using I, me, my singular pronouns, that's fine. But when we pray our Father, I believe one of the things that God intends is for all of us to remember that we're still part of a family and as you look at Matthew 6, verses 9 and following, and look at what Jesus says about prayer, it's about God. And it's about God's name. And it's about God's will. And it's about God's kingdom. And it talks about all those things 
other things besides me because the world doesn't revolve around me and it doesn't revolve around you. All those other things outside of us we pray about and we talk to him about because we remember we're part of God's great plan. We're part of a family. Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 21, the prayer that follows the lesson that we presented this morning. Paul launches into a prayer and the prayer is all about the family of God. It's all about the church. When was the last time you prayed and called God Father and you thought about it from a context of we're all your children, those who have obeyed the gospel. We're part of a family. It's fellowship. And then this, number four this evening. Our Father in heaven, two applications in one passage I want, to th- I want you to think about. Two applications in one passage. Application number one is this. There are plenty of other legitimate ways to address God in prayer. You read them in the Bible. Read what the scriptures say. Look at how people pray in the Bible and emulate them. There are other legitimate ways to address God, but it is vitally important for Christians to call God Father. Why do you say it's vitally important, John? I say that because that's the way Jesus taught us to pray. And that's the way Jesus himself prayed. If those things are true, again, habits in our prayer lives. What do you call God? What do you say when you're referring to him in your prayers? Is it always, I'm praying to you, Lord. I'm talking to you, Lord. Is it always, God, I'm praying this and God, I'm praying that? Call him Father. Because Jesus taught us to call him Father. Second application. I believe before we pray, we ought to pause, at least ever so briefly, and we ought to consider the one we are addressing. We ought to stop and think about who it is that we think we're talking to. Who it is that we're approaching in our prayers. He's a loving Father. He is a great God, and he wants to hear from us. Not just mouthing some rote repetition, not just saying a bunch of things that come to mind by habit, but really talking to him. As a father, I can tell you, one of the things that thrills my heart is when my teenage kids talk to me. They don't do it as much as they used to. As they get older parents, they talk less, at least for for a while. But it thrills my heart when my kids come and they talk to me and they ask questions and we have dialogue and we have discussion about things that are important to them. If that thrills my heart as a father, think about how much more it ought to thrills God when you and I, his children, come before him and we pour out our hearts to him and we talk to him about what's going on with us and what we think about his will and how we want his kingdom to increase and how we want his will to be done, who is it that we think we're talking to? Ecclesiastes 5, or Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2, should, should say Ecclesiastes, not Ephesians. <clears throat> In Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2, the wise man said this, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let's all of us go back to the Lord, go back to Jesus Christ, and let's ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. 
as John also taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus' response to you and me would be this. When you pray, start this way. Our Father in heaven. Let's let that be our habit. Let's let that be our approach. And we are on solid ground when we do that. If you're here this evening and you need to obey the gospel, you want to repent of your sin and be baptized, or maybe you need prayers, we will bow before our Father and pray on your behalf if that's what you need. Won't you make your need known while together we stand and while we sing. Oh